Last week, uh, we started this new series about we're better together. And the basic idea was that God hates loneliness. And so what God has done is he created two institutions to deal with loneliness. One is your physical family. He started that with the Garden of Eden. The second was when Jesus Christ came and he established the church. That's your spiritual family to deal with this aloneness. And, and we could go around, we could spend a lot of time talking about how our physical families may have failed us, may be failing us. But God designed the spiritual family to actually supersede that and become your replacement family. If you've got issues in, in your physical family, welcome to the club. This is the place for you. We want you involved with us because we're just as weird and just as messed up as you are. Our families are just as jacked up. We could have contests. Who's got the most jacked up family? But we are not worried about that because we're not so worried about our past. Jesus is worried about our future. And so he takes all of our past, good and bad, and he molds it into this beautiful thing called the church. And when the church is working right, people's lives get changed. Marriages are saved. Marriages are resurrected. Lives are resurrected from the pit of despair. And so we're trying to put all of this together in this thing called church. Now, you don't need a hundred friends. And, and in fact, you can't have a hundred really close best friends. You can't do it. It's impossible. But you do need three or four or five that deeply care about you. Now, in your experience, is that what happens in churches? Do you go to churches or the churches you've been in, have there been three or four or five people that deeply care about you when you attend? Is that what, is that what normally happens? Some of you are shaking your heads. A lot of you are just looking at me like, what are you talking about? Well, that's my point. Because a lot of times we go to church and we have acquaintances at church, but we don't have anybody that's looking out for our spiritual welfare. And that's what the body of Christ is designed to do. And in fact, if you're interested in getting into a small group, then you can sign up back there. Or if you just check on your registration card that you're interested in small groups, I'll be sure and get you in a group. Two weeks from tonight, we're doing this big kickoff here at 5 o'clock. We're going to have brand new groups this year. The groups run a year. If you hate your group, you have permission to go to another group without any hard feelings. You don't even have to explain it. We expect some people to come and they get in a group and they go, these people are too weird. And we're like, we know. So go find another one. We promise there'll be a group that you can fit in, and we're okay with that. Just come give it a try, and, and we'll get you plugged in. Now, God has never made a person that he doesn't love. And so one of the reasons you, reasons you and I are on the planet, and, and the main reason that we have this church called New Life Community Church, is because God wants us to share with other people about his love. God loves people, and he wants us to be the ones who share that love with others. And around you, there's all kinds of people that God has put into your life that he wants you to invest in so that you can tell them about Christ. And there's people right now, you don't need new ones, you need to pay attention to the ones that are already there. People aren't looking for a friendly church, people are looking for friends. And everybody around you has a story, and that's kind of the idea of this video that I'm going to show you. I want you to watch this video, and then we'll talk more about this idea of connecting with people. Sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, Christianity is the ultimate show and tell. You have to show someone 
that you care about them. And then once you've earned the right to be heard, then you get to tell them this incredible message about Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about how you do that, how you can show people, first of all, inside the church that you love them, and then how you gain the opportunity to share with people outside the church that Christ loves them, has this incredible plan for their lives. The greatest message ever you get to share. Let's figure out how to do it better. First thing you've got to do is you've got to pay attention. Attention is one of the most powerful forces in the world. All right, let's get a scenario. Let's say that a couple is at breakfast and one of them, oh, let's suppose it's the husband, is reading his paper. Now, some of y'all are going to try to disguise your paper in the Bible. Don't do it. You're already found out. But okay, let's say the husband is reading his newspaper and the wife is pouring out her heart to him. Is she happy with what's going on? You see where this is going, right? She gets exasperated and says, you're not listening, facing. <laughs> that was a dude. A dude said that. You're not facing me. You're not listening with your face. That's good. That's good. We're going there in a minute. You're not listening to me. You're not paying attention. To which the ever sensitive man goes, I can repeat every word you just said. And he proceeds to do so just to make a point. You said this, you said this, you said this, you said this. Does that cause her to jump into his lap, to shower him with kisses and say, Oh, I knew you cared about me. No. She wants to be attended to. A tape recorder could have done what he did. Regurgitating words is not enough. She wants someone to pay attention. Someone to notice her, to spend some time listening to her. Being heard is not enough. Attention is what she really wants. And one of the greatest miracles in life, one of our messages is that the God of the universe, the God who created us, the God who sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to be raised again from the dead, the God who would rather send His Son to die than to live without us, pays attention to us. That's an incredible miracle. In the Old Testament... Um, God taught the Israelites to pray a priestly blessing. It, the, the blessing actually comes uh, as words to Aaron, who was Big Moses. If you know anything about the Old Testament, Big Mo is what we call him. Moses was the big guy of the Old Testament. Well, his brother Aaron was the priest. And God taught them this priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, you got to understand, in the Hebrew culture, to have one's face toward you was a sign of favor. It was undivided attention. It was wholehearted communication on your part that there's no place you would rather be. You are fully attentive to this person. You're saying to them, there's no place I'd rather be. There's nothing I would rather do. I want to be fully engaged with you. That's what the face represented in the Hebrew culture. And this, um, <laughs> this blessing... Uh, says that I'm not preoccupied with something else. You are the focus of my attention. But the blessing says not only will God cause His face to turn and look upon you, but His face will shine upon you. The shining of the face towards someone is pure, unadulterated love. It's the, it's the, the, the look of a parent when their child is playing in their first piano recital or playing in her first ball game. It is the look of the groom when the doors open at the back and he first catches a glimpse of his bride. This is my wife's favorite part of a wedding. 
She doesn't watch the ladies. Sorry. She doesn't watch y'all coming down the aisle. She watches the face of the groom as he sees. And she just watches him the whole time. That's her favorite part because his face shines toward her. That's the idea. Not only does God turn his face toward you, but he shines. His face shines toward you. That's the type of love and attention God dotes on us. But the opposite of that is described in Psalm chapter 27. When the psalmist says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Nothing was worse in the Hebrew person's mind than God turning his face from you, turning his back on you. So if we're going to stand together and we're going to reach out to others, we better start paying attention to people. And you know this, attention is so valuable, we don't give it away, we pay attention. It is like money. And where your attention goes, there your heart goes. So we better figure out how to get better at this. So let's talk about what is attention. What are some things we can do to pay better attention? Number one, attention is remembering. To love as God loves, we've got to pay attention to details. We've got to remember the important events in those people's lives that are close to us. Last week was my sister's um, birthday. I called my sister. Yesterday, my best friend who was best man at my wedding, I was best man at his wedding. I remembered his birthday. A couple years ago, I forgot. And man, he just wasted me because my birthday comes 10 days after his. How bad is that to forget his birthday when mine's 10 days later? And dude, I knew it was coming. So at least I got to register the call. He didn't answer, but I'm on record. I remembered yesterday. I'm like, dude, I'm checking in. Happy birthday. Janie is great at this. Janie remembers anniversaries. She remembers. Now, I remember my kids' birthdays. I remember a few people's birthdays. But beyond that, I'm sorry. Janie remembers them all. But she's also amazing because she doesn't remember just birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. She will remember the day someone died. She'll remember when somebody significant in your life dies, if you're one of her close friends. She remembers the anniversary date of when her friends lost a child in pregnancy. You think people feel attended to if there's Janie's friend? Yes. That's what folks are looking for. So attention is remembering. Attention is also noticing. Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. We often take it as a sign of love if someone notices a new haircut or a new hairstyle. Again, man, I'm sorry. But, but Janie notices those things. She's really good at that. Marriages have been known to fall apart for the failure to notice, right, men? What? I didn't notice. Yeah, that's why she's mad at you, because you didn't notice. God has numbered every hair. If one falls out, he notices. He may not replace it, but he notices. That's the kind of love God has for us. This week I was studying some stuff in preparation for this message, and, and John Ortberg is one of my favorite uh, pastors. I read his books and I listen to his sermons. I was reading an excerpt in, in one of his sermons about um, this, this author. Her name was uh, Deborah Tannen. She wrote a book called You Just Don't Understand, and he quotes a portion of that book. That's where this is coming from. The, the author is telling a story of her great aunt who, lived, who had a romantic relationship when she was in her 70s. Now listen to this description. Obese, balding, misshapen by arthritis, she did not fit the stereotype of a woman involved in romance. But romanced she was by an elderly gentleman also in his 70s. Deborah writes, One evening, 
She had dinner out with friends. When she returned home, her male friend called and she told him about the dinner. He listened with interest, with interest, and asked her, what did you wear? When she told me this, she began to cry. And she said, do you know how many years it's been since anyone asked me what I wore? The author says, when my great aunt said this, she was saying that it had been years since anyone cared deeply, intimately about her. Or I would add for our purposes here today, it had been years since anyone had noticed her. Before we can tell others about Jesus, we have to pay attention to them. We've got to notice things about them. And then the third thing is, attention is listening. When you pay attention, when you notice, you gain the right to be heard and to hear them. You know what people in your world need most? Is someone to listen to them. They need you to put down the newspaper and turn your face to them. Listen with your face, not just your ears. And I actually read this too. Ortberg um, did a lot of psychology study when he, in his past. He said the number one reason people go to counselors and psychologists is because someone listens attentively for a period of time. So here's an assignment for you this week. For me too. When someone in a small group or someone in your family starts talking to you, whatever you're doing, put it down and turn and face them. Give your full, undivided attention to them. Notice how they're talking. Notice what they're talking about. And listen. And you watch what God will begin to do in that relationship. It will flourish. No matter what's happened in the past, you start now. It will flourish because you are listening attentively to them. And here again, you don't need new people in your life. You need, the people, need to pay attention to the people God's already put there. Because God didn't mess up. He didn't mess up by bringing you to Palestine. Some of you are running away from Palestine as fast as you can. He didn't mess up by bringing you here. We've got to pay attention so that God can use us right where we're planted. Okay, so we pay attention. Second thing we've got to do, if we're going to be better at this whole thing of telling people about Christ, reaching out together. That's the whole purpose of this, reaching out together. We've got to discover our style of reaching out. Now, this is really cool to me, and this kind of opened my eyes about 10 years ago. I was at a conference, and, and pastor shared this, and it, it revolutionized my thinking about how we reach out. God doesn't call us all to reach out in exactly the same way. Instead, this is sheer brilliance. Instead, God knew that it was going to take all kinds of people, all kinds of personalities, all kinds of spiritual gifts in order to reach the world for Christ. And so he built this diversity into this body of Christ, the believers. And so he's built you specifically with some talents, with some abilities. If you're a believer in Christ, he's given you at least one spiritual gift. We don't all have the same gifts, but he's given you at least one. You're supposed to use that to build up the body of Christ. And then when you begin using your gifts, you bring glory and honor to God, and He does some amazing things through you. You have a unique style given to you by God that He wants you to use in reaching out to others. The Bible contains at least six of these. There may be more, but there's at least six different evangelism styles in the pages of Scripture. We're going to run through these real quickly. And what I want you to do is I want you... I've been praying this this week. That as I come across a style and I begin to describe it, if it's your style, that God will kind of make your heart beat just a little bit quicker. Because I want you to put a star by that on your listening guide. And a little bit later, I want you to write that on the back of your registration card. So we'll begin to see how God has put us together as a team. And we'll reach more people as a team than we ever will apart. All right. So let's run through these real quickly. First style is the confrontational style. 
anything with the word confront or confrontational, you know, is not my wife's style. She will tell you she would rather vomit than confront someone. So this is not her style. It comes from Acts chapter 2. And if you remember what's going on in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has gone. They're gathered for Pentecost. There's this great wind at Pentecost. All these people come and, and try to see what's going on. And Peter stands up to preach. Um, Peter was this guy in Scripture, and if you've done any studying about him, he's the ready, fire, aim type guy. No matter what he did, it was full force, and he would think about the consequences later. So when God needed a spokesman in Jerusalem, think of this, Jerusalem is the very place that just crucified Jesus. One On Sunday, they welcome him in. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the end of the week, the religious leaders have condemned him, have, have gotten a mob together, and they hang him on the cross. These are Jews. These are God's chosen people. They know the Old Testament. They have rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. So when God needs someone to stand up and speak the truth in spite of the consequences, whom do you think he would choose? A ready, fire, aim type guy. That was Peter. Now, I've got to ask you, was it coincidence that Peter was in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? Let's give God a little credit. Was it coincidence that Peter was one of the twelve apostles that followed Jesus, that he said, I am that my kingdom depends on you spreading this news. Was it coincidence? Let's give God a little more credit. And so at the time when, when God needed someone to stand up and say this, Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord of, and Christ. He chose Peter through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and he boldly shakes his finger in their face and say, you have missed the Messiah and you've killed him at the end of his sermon. It was so effective because of what God did, not because of what Peter did. Because the Holy Spirit came through Peter in his teaching that 3,000 people got saved that day. That's amazing. And very few of you are probably going, that's me. You know, very few of you are going, I'm the confrontational. Let me add somebody. No, probably not a whole lot of you are, but there are a few in this congregation that you are the confrontational style. All right, number two is the intellectual style. This comes from Acts chapter 17. And the example here, if you want to just write this in, the example here is Paul. If you'll remember Paul's life story, he was the Hebrews Hebrew. He was a Jewish man. He was trained by the number one tutor in their society, Gamaliel, the number one teacher. And he was an excellent student. And he gives you all of his qualifications. He wrote half of the New Testament. And this guy was incredible. And so he was, he was set aside by the church to go and start churches all over the known world. And as he was traveling, he comes to a place called Athens. As he goes into Athens, he goes around and he looks and he sees all of these idols. Now, to any good common Jew, idols are offensive because the very first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then it says, no idols. So you would be greatly offended if you were a Jew coming in this place. Can you just see Peter, Peter jumping up? You, you fools! But these were philosophers in Athens. These were thinking men and women in Athens. And so Paul does something that's ingenious. He walks around, he sees all these, and he comes across this statue to an unknown God. Because the people in Athens, they wanted to be careful that they covered all their bases. So they had this God and this God and this God. There's just hundreds of gods. And then there's one, in case we missed one, to the unknown God. Paul reads the inscription. He goes up and he says, hey, I notice you've got a, a, an idol over here to an unknown God. I've met him and he wants me to tell you about him. Incredible, ingenious strategy. Peter would have been rejected. He might have been killed. But Paul earned the right to be heard because these philosophers needed logic. They needed proof. 
And that's what Paul provided. So that's the intellectual style. There's another style. The interpersonal, or if you just want to write personal, that's, that's fine. Interpersonal. And this comes from Luke chapter 5. And this is Matthew, who's also called Levi. He's one of my favorites. Matthew was a tax collector. And if you know, we've, we've talked about this before. There's all these listings of, of uh, jobs that you could go into if you were a good Jew. Tax collector was, uh, this is no joke, tax collector was actually lower than dung collector. There was something in that society called dung collector, and it's exactly what you think it is. Somebody who cleans up, up the stuff, the street sweepers after the parades here. A dung collector. Tax collecting was actually lower than that in the Jewish society. And Matthew was one of those. And so when he meets Jesus, Jesus radically transforms his heart. God changes him from the inside out so much so that he begins to think about his friends. And he wants his friends to have a similar experience that he had. And so he doesn't have any training whatsoever. He's got no background. He doesn't have the right to stand up and preach to them. So he, I think he thinks long and hard and he comes up with an idea. He throws a party because his tax collector friends, they were the rich people in that society. They liked parties and they liked having lots of people around. So he throws this big old party and he invites all of his friends and Jesus. I think he just wanted his friends to experience someone like Jesus. And I think in his mind he was thinking, if they can just meet him, they'll be changed like I was. Brilliant style. Now, some of you have this personal style. And you have an effect on people. But the parties you're throwing are the wrong parties. I mean, let's just be honest. Maybe God designed you with this desire to party with other people so that you could invite Jesus to come. Because I, I don't think you really want him to show up to some of the parties that you're planning. Invite someone, invite the most authentic Christians you know to come hang out with your friends. Don't invite, don't invite the fake people because that'll just run your friends off. You invite real people with real problems who've met a real Savior and see what happens. Well, there's another style and it's actually called the invitational style. This is from John chapter 4. This is the bad Samaritan. You've heard of the good Samaritan? Well, this is the bad Samaritan. It's the, it's the woman at the well is how you've heard of her. One day Jesus sat down by a well and he encountered a Samaritan woman. And for a rabbi, a respected rabbi, to sit down with a woman in public was scandalous. But a Samaritan woman, which the Jews hate, this was unbelievable scandal waiting to happen. And Jesus didn't care about political correctness. Jesus didn't care about what anyone else thought. He sat down and he had a conversation with this woman. In the course of the conversation, he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. This woman has had five husbands and she was now living with someone who was not her husband. Jesus radically transforms her life because, see, she came to the well, we think, during the, the, at noon, we think she came to the well because she was ostracized by society and she didn't want to be around anybody. So the heat of the day, very few people would be at the well. She goes to get water. She meets the water, the living water. She meets the bread of life. And when she tastes that water, she's changed and she runs back into town and she invites everyone, regardless of what they thought about her, she invites them all to come meet Jesus. And most of the town did. And you know what happened? At the end of Jesus talking to them, they say, we now believe because we've met you and not just because of the testimony of this woman. She invited people to come and they came. And God has made some of you inviters. There's lots of folks who would make great strides in their spiritual journey if you would invite them. Insert your name there. If I would invite them. 
They would make huge strides if you would invite them to seeker-friendly things. This is seeker-friendly, what we do on Sunday mornings. Because this comes from Scripture. Paul said, I would rather teach a thousand words that everybody can understand than to speak in tongues and only a few people understand it and then someone give an interpretation. He said, I would rather do a thousand words that everybody can understand. So what we pattern our Sunday mornings on are messages that everyone can understand no matter where they are. And the miracle that happens over and over is people come here. And there are people far from God. That's our target audience. There are people that come here that will come up to me later and they'll say, man, I came and I thought you were nuts. And then you started talking about something that was going on in my life. And I said, well, that had to be a God thing because there's no way I knew what was going on in your life. And we've had people come back and they say, I kept coming back because you said something this week that was going on in my life. And, and I got to thinking, you're not that smart. And I'm like, you're right. That has to be God. That's proof that there is a God. If I'm talking directly to you, I'm not smart enough. And I, I don't have enough time to follow you around and figure out your issues so I can preach about them. I don't want to do that. But God takes the message and he applies it to your heart. That's proof that he is God. And, and if you'll invite some people to some things, they're probably going to come. Did you know that, they, that studies indicate one out of four individuals would come to a church service if someone would invite them? We've done the numbers and we've run how many? I don't remember now. This was several years ago. But if everybody, if every church in Palestine were filled, every seat were filled, we'd have maybe 3,500, 4,000 people in church. Anybody seen the, the city limit signs lately? How many do they say are in Palestine? 17 to 18,000 in Palestine. That means a lot of people aren't here. And one out of four of those would come if you invited them. We just got to start paying attention. Well, there's another style. It's called the testimonial style. This comes from John chapter 9. This was the blind man. We find out that this guy had been blind since birth. And he sat at this gate begging because that's all a blind person could do. That's the only way they would get anything. And when Jesus meets this guy, he heals him. No sooner had he regained his sight than he's pulled before the religious authorities. And they're saying, who did this to you? You know, as if it's a bad thing to be healed from blindness. And he said, Jesus. And they said, well, we know Jesus didn't come from God. And the guy refused to get into a theological argument with him. He said, I don't know that much about Jesus. Here's what I do know. I was blind. Now I see. It's good enough for me. I believe in him. Right? Because he tells them. I mean, this uneducated blind man says, no one has ever heard of a religious leader doing this. From the beginning of the world till now. He said, he must be the Messiah. I'm going to believe. And these trained people threw him out of the, the temple because he wouldn't condemn Jesus. He said, I'm not going to get in an argument. This is what I know. I used to be like this. Here is how I am now. There's a power there that I can't explain. I'm going to follow the power. I don't care what you think. So you don't have to argue with people that don't agree with you. you just say, this is what happened to me. That's the testimonial style. There's a serving style. And this, if you're writing down who this was, this is Dorcas or Tabitha. I've always remembered Dorcas. I guess it's close to Dork, you know, and, but, but it's, it's a good name in, in Greek and Hebrew. It's, it's not to us. But anyway, Acts 9.36 says this. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which, is Greek, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. She was well known for making robes. And clothing for poor people, for widows, and distributing those things. 
She served in a way that must have made people look at her and go, why would you do that? Why would you spend time on me? And, and so her work was so important that when she died a premature death, God sent Peter to raise her from the dead so that she could go back to doing her serving thing. And this is the only time in Scripture her name's ever mentioned that we ever hear about Tabitha, Dorcas, is right here. And I think it's because the serving style is a behind-the-scenes type style. This is my wife's style. She loves, her face shines when she's making meals for somebody who's just had a baby. Or if she's gonna, if somebody's going through a tough time. She loves making meals for people. And I think that the behind, this one, this serving style, I have seen her steadfast goodness win people over when, when my words couldn't. And your words couldn't. It takes time, but man, I have seen hard hearts begin to crack because someone had this serving style. And really, almost everybody that works back in our children's area so that you can come in here and, and, and be fed the Word of God, almost everybody back there has the serving style. They would rather give their time back there than come in here and be fed because they want you to hear about Jesus and be changed. That's, that's huge to me. And the serving people are my heroes. Now, bottom line... When God comes into your life, you become more loving towards people. If you don't love anybody, or if you love very few people, then you need to question whether God has come into your life. It's that simple. If you don't love people, you've got issues. <laughs> Most Christians are more known for what they're against than for what they're for. You know, when you go back to Paul, when Paul was in Athens, you notice what he didn't do? Paul didn't, didn't organize a million Jew march to say, look at these disgusting Athenians. They have all of these things. He didn't get on public uh, radio or on conservative radio and rail against the ills of society and how they're going to hell in a handbasket. He didn't do that trash. Because politics are not the answer for our country. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very involved in, in politics. I read. I'm very, I have very strong opinions about who I will vote for, who I will not vote for. There are lines I will not cross. When it comes time to, to do the election next year, I will, I will vote and I will be very well read on that. But our hope is not who's in the president, who's the president, who's in the White House. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. You cannot legislate someone into morality. But you introduce them to Jesus He's, he's resurrecting people's lives all the time. And if we will work together, we'll see this place overflowing with people who've been transformed by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 5.12, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and they are one of the most gifted churches, spiritually gifted churches in existence. And he says this, It is not my business to judge those who are not a part of the church. It's not my what? Never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer until he or she is a believer. Now, he gives plenty of instructions about how we're supposed to judge Christians. We're not supposed to judge non-Christians. So don't expect them to act like a Christ follower until they become a Christ follower. That's the bottom line. All right, so you pay attention. You discover your style. We begin to use those styles. And the third thing is you connect with lost people. It's what Jesus did. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. If we have to make a choice in New Life Community Church between a believer in Christ and a lost person, we will choose the lost person because we don't like the alternative. 
Hell is a very real place, and I don't want anybody to go there. So we've built this church to try to reach people, save them from hell. And, and no offense, but if that offends you, please don't take our one-on-one class. Because we're going to go after lost people. We're going to go after messy people. Because we think that's what Jesus did. And I want to stand before Christ. And I don't want to have to answer. I gave you all this stuff. I showed you how to reach lost people. Why didn't you do it? I don't want to answer that question. I want to answer the question, how many people are here because of the influence of New Life Community Church? I want that to be a bunch. I don't know, Lord, you know. The beauty of this approach is God will give you, as you pay attention, as you discover your style, as you connect, God will give you incredible ideas about how you can reach lost people. And if we do it together, there will be an explosion of people coming to Christ. Now, I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And if you're a Christ follower today, I want to challenge you to pray a prayer. It's a very simple prayer, but it will radically transform your life if you pray it and mean it. If you just say it and don't mean it, God knows. He knows your heart. But here's the prayer. Three words. Lord, use me. Now, I just want to caution you. If, you, if you're not serious, just, just think about donuts. But if you want to be used by the king of the universe, then you pray, Lord, use me. Wherever you go, wherever you are, you say, Lord, use me. And then I'm going to give you some things. Maybe you want to pray this. Lord, use me to show your love to people who don't know you yet. Lord, use me to show your purpose to people who don't know that you made them for a reason. Lord, use me with my family, with my friends, with my co-workers. Lord, I don't care how you use me, just use me. And I want you to think about this. With your eyes still closed, I want you to think about these styles I just talked about. And if maybe you are one of these styles. If you feel like you are, please read the, the passages that I have on your listening guide. And please talk to me about it. But I'm, I want to know this. If you think you're confrontational, write that, then, then ask God. And then I want you to write that on your card in just a minute. The intellectual. If you're the one that always tries to answer questions, maybe that's you. Interpersonal. You're the one that just wants to throw a party and invite Jesus and other people. The invitational. You're the one that's always inviting people to come different places. Testimonial. You don't have any of the others, but you'd be willing to share what God's done for you. Maybe you're the testimonial or the serving. You're the one that wants to be behind the scenes, but you really want to make a difference in somebody's life. Maybe you have the serving style. Father, reveal yourself to these people. And then, God, help us to begin to work together in a way that glorifies you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.